Welcome to Notes from the Electronic Cottage. I'm Jim Campbell. Let's continue today with our series on artificial intelligence, something that we're all hearing a lot about lately, but which can be challenging to make sense of amidst all the noise, both online and off. In the first segment of our series, we looked at what artificial intelligence, or AI, is. We noted that there are different levels of AI, at least in theory, often referred to as weak AI and strong AI. There are many applications of weak AI that we interact with every day. For example, every time we do a web search or apply for a loan or insurance policy. And increasingly often, when we go to our healthcare provider. While there's ongoing work to develop strong AI, artificial intelligence that can do pretty much anything a human can do when exercising intelligence, we're not there yet. Depending on who you ask, strong AI might happen as soon as 2030, but more likely in a 2050 or so time frame, which is not all that far off, actually. A lot of the people listening right now will be around to have strong AI in their everyday world. In the second segment of our series, we began to look, in very general terms, at how AI works. We also noted that there are quite a few people, many very knowledgeable about the technology, who think that we need to hold our horses a bit so we can think more about what fast-developing AI will mean for us, individually and as a species. In that spirit, the Future of Life Institute published an open letter on March 22, 2023, entitled, quote, Pause Giant AI Experiments, end quote. The letter called for, quote, all AI labs to immediately pause for at least six months the training of AI systems more powerful than GPT-4, end quote. GPT-4 is currently the most powerful text-generating system available. We noted that within a few days of its publication, over 7,300 people had signed that letter. Now, less than three weeks later, the number has risen to about 19,000 signers. AI can take many forms depending on its particular use, but generally speaking, AI works in one of two ways. With programmers telling computers exactly what to do and how to do it, or much more commonly in the past 10 to 15 years, with a machine given some starting directions and then learning how to do some task itself. Most of us have probably heard about computers beating the world's best chess players or the world champion Go player. Machine learning is how those machines got so good at playing those games. In fact, the programmers who got the machine started learning have no idea what's going on in any specific way when the machines actually play. Broadly speaking, there are three approaches to machine learning. In a previous program, we discussed what's called supervised learning, in which programmers provide a machine with a large data set that's been labeled by humans so that the machine can learn to recognize the characteristics of whatever the programmers are trying to get the machine to learn about. An example we mentioned might be to train a computer to be able to tell what a motor vehicle is. Maybe the computer will be used in a self-driving car, for example, and needs to identify what other vehicles are around it. 
In that case, the programmer would give the computer access to many thousands of images of cars, trucks, motorcycles, tractor trailers, buses, and so on. Each would be labeled so that the AI would be able to learn what the key characteristics of a vehicle are. For example, the AI might notice vehicles usually have wheels. The AI then assembles criteria for what it thinks is a motor vehicle. Next, it's faced with data from a test set which it has never seen before. The question then becomes, how good will it be at identifying the motor vehicles in the test set, which might include various types of motor vehicles, but also animals or houses or trees, or all sorts of non-motor vehicle images. If the AI gets a high percentage correct, as evaluated by the human programmers, it's ready to move on to whatever the next step may be, perhaps for use in a self-driving car, a neighborhood surveillance application, or whatever. In unsupervised learning, as IBM describes it, quote, machine learning algorithms analyze and cluster unlabeled data sets. These algorithms discover hidden patterns in data without the need for human intervention, end quote. In short, there are no human-provided labels. In the most general sense, the machine figures out what things go together. While supervised learning is good for having a machine classifying what a motor vehicle is, for example, unsupervised learning is good at finding patterns in large collections of data, and also at finding things that don't adhere to the pattern, and so don't belong. Every time we make a credit card purchase, for example, computers using machine learning look at the purchase and at our past purchases and make sure that the current purchase fits our usual pattern of buying. If it doesn't, the credit card company lets us know or may even deny the purchase. This type of pattern discovering ability is also useful in things that range from reading x-rays to discovering new drugs to suggesting what movie we may want to see on Netflix based not only on what we've watched before, but on what other people who are like us have liked in the past. In fact, most recommender systems of all sorts that we come across online use unsupervised machine learning to make suggestions. Did you ever wonder how, when you go to check out on some website, you'll get a notice asking, would you like to add this or that item to your cart? You may have only been on the site for a moment to get one thing, but in the 30 seconds it takes you to get to checkout, the computer has pulled out something else that's probably quite relevant to you in one way or another to try to get you to put still another item in the cart. These days, many AI developers are pursuing a mix of supervised and unsupervised learning. This is the third way that machines learn. One type is called, appropriately enough, semi-supervised learning. Another, that works a bit differently and works very well for games or any situation where there's a clear winner, is called reinforcement learning. So, there we have it. A very high-level look at how AI works. We'll add a link to a free online course on AI for non-techies, as well as a link to a short document describing the differences between supervised and unsupervised machine learning. Both of those will be on the page for today's program 
in the Public Affairs Archive at www.weru.org. For the next segment of our series, we'll begin to look at why some pretty knowledgeable people, including one of the people who won the Turing Prize for contributions to machine learning itself, are asking for a six-month pause to certain kinds of AI research. We need such a pause, they claim, so that we can figure out how to prepare for what may be coming in AI and coming faster than many thought even five years ago. We'll see why they're suggesting such a pause and what AI may mean to us, to our children, and to our grandchildren, right here on future editions of Notes from the Electronic Cottage. 